Hey everyone, we're back with another week of Find Your Film, and I was screwing up the first time. I'm, this is a second take, so this is for the week covering Friday, February 25th, 2022. We have a guest for, for, in, in the, for the first time in quite a spell, because me and Bruce Perky are very antisocial. Thankfully, Eric Holmes is not. We, we are going to introduce right off the top our special guest, Eric Holmes, the desperate Holmes. Who do we have here joining us? Well, today we got a uh, uh, author and all-around gay guy, Jonathan Martin Ives. I okay. I found out not through you, but I found out that you had a, a book on Audible, The Soul of Saint Ives, and then uh, I went and listened to that, and I was like, "What the? Why do I not know about this?" <laughs> but uh, yeah, that, I've known uh, Jonathan. Yeah, I've, I've known Jonathan for a couple years. We kind of met together. Uh, like craigslist or whatever and start that sounds weird <laughs> but uh we we're doing like uh we, we did some videos and st- stuff that doesn't sound less weird <laughs> but uh uh yeah uh we 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 known each other through normal craigslist stuff doing normal videos <laughs> together um that are not at all uh untoward in any sort of way not untoward and then we, we talk about the discovery of the book. What's this book about and everything like that? Well, I'll, I'll leave that to Jonathan. Uh, oh, come on. Come on. Let's, let's, let's hear someone else say, <laughs> say what it's about. Come on. Okay. So um, it's, it's kind of a, it's, it's a science fiction, um, science fiction, science fantasy. And um, I don't know how this seemed because I know some personal stuff in your life. I don't know how much of that you want to get into, but this seemed uh, like it was a, a take on that. And I got, I got, um, it felt listening to it. It felt like you were getting a lot of stuff out of you in this, which I think is what art when it's, when it's at its best, that's what it does well. And that really came through uh, to me and, yeah, that's, I will let I I will pass the torch on to you. Okay, yeah, that's that's pretty spot on actually cuz um in 2012 um myself and my then girlfriend, we were going to have a child together and we planned to name her Layla. And you know, these things happen, but she lost the child and then a while later, I lost the girl, and guys basically aren't supposed to have feelings in these situations. Basically, they put their cowboy hat on and say, well, come on, let's ride her again and try to make another one, you know, type of thing like that. But um, stuff like that's really personal to me. It's, you know, losing a child is losing a child. And so basically, not having anyone to lean on. Uh, I created this story so that I can get my daughter back. So that's it in a nutshell. And you hit it spot on. Jonathan, how long did it take you to write this story? And were you always, before you even wrote the story, was writing just a big part of who you are? Actually, yeah. Um, I don't know if any of you guys have ever seen Barney Miller. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you remember Ron Glass played uh, Detective Harris? Great. Yeah, love him. Yeah, yeah. And he, during the show, he was writing this book called Blood on the Badge and all this stuff. 
So yeah, he was a big inspiration to me. So from then on, especially in my teenage years, uh, you know how teenagers are. They're always fatalistic. Oh, I'm going to die. Oh, somebody else is going to die. Oh, you know, and so through poetry and stuff like that, it basically, that was like a therapy for me. So yeah, I have been writing for quite a while. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And and you have a, you have a sequel to the one, the one that I let, so I'd listened to the soul of St. Ives and then you, uh, uh, show me a link to a sequel, the heart of St. Ives. And I wasn't able to, uh, navigate that, but, uh, um, uh, that, that one's not on audible. Um, Maybe you can speak to that a little bit. Like, where'd the, uh, where'd the sequel come from, I suppose? Well, the sequel, I I felt the story, I, I had such fun with, with the first story, and I wanted to just continue it, but I, I'm not into that whole Hollywood thing of, uh, hey, let's milk that cow, you know. I figure there's two stories out of me, and that's it. So, yeah, you got so uh, you got any other uh, uh, any other di- different stories? Um, I know you're a very creative person, so I'm I'm guessing you got plenty of other things in your head that you need to release the demon, so to speak. Yeah, there's uh, one called Destiny Summer. It's basically kind of a hero, anti-hero, James Bondish. A kid who grew up on a reservation and got offered a deal, almost a night rider type of thing. Uh, gets a cool car that shoots uh, torpedoes and blows up cops. You know, normal stuff. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Also, uh, I I do know that I uh, you like to do uh, do the stormtrooper. The I forget what it's called. The troop. I I am five zero first. I am currently. Please talk all about that because <laughs> <laughs> then I, I see you dressing up, but I, I don't really understand what it is. Although I I do remember at your wedding, you had R2D2 there, which was really cool. And I, again, thank you so much for being part of that and, and filming it. And we, Linda and I, my wife, were both very grateful to you for participating. Oh, no but yeah. Uh, I've been with the 501st for a few years. I'm currently retired. I'm looking to get back into it. Um, But we do like charity work. We do stuff like when Star Wars movies come out, we'll go to theaters and promote it. And people just love to have us out because, you know, they like taking pictures and, it's really fun. Children's hospitals. That is one of the biggest reasons I want to get back into it because we went to a children's hospital in Denver. This we, we peek in on this kid just laying there looking all lethargic and like a zombie and stuff. And we peek around the corner and this kid sees us and he's looking all dead. And as soon as this kid sees us, boom, just, you know, lights up and oh, troopers all you know and so we made this kids day i really love doing stuff like that you know a lot jonathan a lot of people say with with writers i think one of the first pieces of advice for a lot of writers is to write your own story but sometimes when that story comes from a place of 
tragedy or sadness or from a, from a dark place. Some writers, even though they have the scale of the craft, they won't they won't go there. You decided to go there, and just wondering how that process was for you writing. Was it a cathartic experience? Would you recommend that to other writers to like just go to your very deep and dark place, even if it scares you while you're writing it? Oh yeah, it's the old adage: write what you know. You know, and if that is what you have to get out of you to make you feel better, do it. And Did it make you feel better? Actually, uh, you, you know, you, you could say no, but actually this has been a journey. I have employed artists from all over the world to bring my character to life. I got my wife out of her shell to, you know, narrate these books, you know, this has been a very positive experience, actually. So, yeah, it, it is a better thing for me. Is your wife a good narrator? Is she a natural voice? Yes, she is. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to let the author answer that, Eric oh, sorry, Holmes. Sorry. <laughs> no, actually, I would rather a, uh, you know, a listener be able to say that. I, you know, of yeah. course, I'm going to be biased, but... Yeah, she does an amazing job, and I'm very proud of her. So, in fairness, I'm going to shut up now, Eric Holmes. But where, where can we where can we find where can listeners of the show find your work? Where would you want to, them? Where would you point them to to find um, your your body of work? Well, for uh, the first book, Soul of Saint Eyes, of course, it would be Amazon. Um, for both of them, it would be. Audible, um, audiobooks.com. Basically, just just Google, and they both come up. Okay. Well, Bruce Bruce Perky is so old; he still uses. He doesn't use Google. He <laughs> still he actually uses Alta Vista and Ask Jeeves. Bruce, before oh, I, oh, <laughs> I, I use web web crawler, web crawler. That's web what I use. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Bruce, before we close the segment, you you have a a movie thing. He does a movie thing. Yeah, I'll I'll do two things actually. Um, uh, first, I'll let you think a little bit while I ask you the first question. So the last question I'm going to ask you is going to be to help us put a movie into the box. We have a box. We have a box full of actual slips of paper, and usually it's movies that you think are underseen or underwatched or something you want people to to see. And I'll pick a pick a slip out each week, and um, that movie will be the movie I watch the next week. But before that, just so your mind can think about it a little bit, uh, I was just thinking like you obviously have a love for Star Wars, um, and I remember seeing really? the first Star Wars in the theater at the Roxy theater in Tacoma, Washington, and then six more times when it first came out. So I want to know when and where did you fee- see your first star Wars movie in the theater? Then tell me what non star Wars sci-fi movie I should put in the box that you think is under appreciated. Okay. We have a, a mall called the Citadel out here in Colorado Springs. Uh, that's where I first saw star Wars for the very first time lines going around the block it was really just it was the ultimate experience back then that it had never been done and no matter how many times you see a star wars movie unless you were there back in 77 you know nothing can beat that experience at all 
as far as a movie to put in your box, I would put Crawl. Crawl, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I was, you know, I'm, I'm going to be, we, didn't we all love Crawl? Didn't we all love that movie? But I haven't seen it probably since, what did it come out, 85 oh or something? <laughs> yeah, I think, I think the last time I saw it was playing on HBO. Like, <laughs> it's been a while. So that, that, that'd be a good one to revisit, I think. Jonathan, yeah, just, Crawl will be fun. Do you just think it's a, a very slept on movie in your opinion, Jonathan? It, excuse me, a, a what? Do, do you feel it's a very underrated film just from your perspective? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, I feel that it's underrated. I feel that it was very unappreciated back in its day. I mean, when I first saw it, I mean, blending sci-fi and fantasy together, you know, back in the 80s. You had Excalibur and uh, Dragon Slayer and all these other really cool Sword and Sorcerer. You had all these cool movies that were just basically getting, you know, bad reviews and all this stuff. But if you look, if you really look at them, you can appreciate just the love that went into these movies and the time period. You just had to be there. Eric, you're going to close out the interview. Final question for you, buddy. Yes. Uh, one, actually, uh, another nerd question, but uh, you've uh, you built a full-size TARDIS. Do you still have that? And where could one go see that? Because that is very <laughs> impressive. Well, if you drive by my mom's house, you can see it because we couldn't fit it here at our townhouse. But I'm actually looking to, when the weather gets better, I'm going to uh, repaint it, you know, just make it pretty much brand new i'm gonna see if uh, i can take it to one of the comic cons here and uh, let people enjoy it i a few years ago i don't know if you've ever been to galaxy fest here i haven't no in colorado springs yeah uh galaxy fest it was being held at the antlers for a few years uh my first year there they let me have it in the lobby and people just went nuts about it and it was just a beautiful thing to have there. Sweet. I really enjoyed that. But yes, I still have the TARDIS. Awesome. In nice. fact, if things go well, I will be using it in a film in the near future. But we'll just have to see how that goes. Well, right. when that happens, please join and give us an update on that film and that planned film that you, you have in the works. I will. I'll do that. Jonathan, thank you so much for your time and, and for joining us here on Find Your Film. Oh, thank, yes. thank you for having me. Good seeing you again. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, Eric, don't ever make me put on a pink shirt anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I won't. won't. You did look good in it, though. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I'll see you, Jonathan. All right. Okay. Oh. Nope. I just. Boom. Okay, cool the podcast all right so that was that was jonathan that was really cool bruce you learned a thing or two about uh you know you and i never really talk to people do you talk to people on a daily basis that was nice to meet somebody (laughs) it was i just want to talk to him about going and seeing star wars the very first time when it first came out because i think we could uh we could have some great conversation around that when i throw a joke like ask jeeves okay and alta vista don't one-up me on the web crawler reference because that actually you really outdid me with the web crawler (laughs) (laughs) 
Very, very good, folks. That if you don't know what web crawler ask Jeeves or you, well, you, you might know what DuckDuckGo is, but you don't know what Netscape Navigator. That was back in the day, back in the early 90s, I think. Right, Bruce? Was that the time when we were doing that early 90s, yeah. early 90s? It's like pre-AOL, I think, yeah, even. Yeah, pre-AOL. Yeah. Remember the dial-ups? Prodigy, AOL. Remember that 2400 baud modem? <laughs> <laughs> Well, enough of that. Uh, enough of those memories. Like we had a lot of Star Wars talk here. A little bit that was cool. Or maybe who knows? Maybe down the road when Bruce picks up Crawl, maybe Eric and I will rewatch that as well. But who has time to rewatch when we have so many movies to cover this week? One of these movies, I am actually going to spring a surprise to Eric Holmes and Bruce Perky. We're not going to cover. We're not going to cover for this podcast because the actual embargo is on Friday. So I actually want to release this on a Thursday. Most of you, if you're really you know hearing this on Friday, you can check out our review of the Desperate Hour on our new uh, YouTube channel, which is a Cinematics and Find Your Film YouTube channel. I will leave that link down below on our show notes with the, with the updated show notes on Friday. If you want to see our review of the Desperate Hour right now, as of this recording, we cannot say anything about this Naomi Watts film directed by Philip Noyce until we actually do the review. So again, that review is embargoed. You can check it out via our links. But we have a lot of lot of things even to get to. Another surprise that I'm going to spring on Eric Holmes and Bruce Perky. I did this interview. I interviewed these people for this movie called The Last Mark, thinking it comes out next week. I was wrong. The movie The Last Mark comes out this Friday, Friday, February 25th, but it hits VOD on March 1st. My fault, Bruce Perky. Probably Bruce wouldn't be, wouldn't have been able to get to it because he watches about thirty films a week. I don't know, all all by Saturday morning or something like that, and then the rest of I don't. How many movies do you see, Bruce, every week? I don't what? know, eight or t- eight to ten, something like that. How do you do that with everything you do? What you just uh, you you just you, do you not sleep? Is it one o'clock in the morning and everyone's sleeping and you're just watching? Um, on I your get tablet? up at six. I usually watch half a movie before work and watch half a movie um, when I get home. Okay. Do you, are you okay with the piecemeal nature of it? Yeah, it doesn't, uh, doesn't matter yeah? to me. Yeah. Uh, do you yeah. watch it on your do you watch it on your iPhone? <laughs> no. <laughs> I usually watch it on my computer, uh which oh, okay. has a pretty good size screen or or maybe on the TV occasionally, but mostly okay. on the computer. Eric Holmes, you watch movies on your iPhone? I don't have an iPhone, but Do you no. watch movies on your Android? <laughs> no. You don't have you don't have an Android? No, no, yeah, I, I have that, but I, I don't watch movies on it. Uh, usually, like if it's uh, you know, if it's like a YouTube video or something, like I'll have it playing and I'll just really be listening to it. But as far as movies, it I could. It's it's not not easy. So it's I'd much easy. rather watch on the TV or again, my my computer is actually a lot better. Uh, it has a much better picture than my TV does. So that's uh, usually a good go to. Okay, well, there is a point to that. I actually watched one of the films we're covering this week, Studio 66. It's the Foo Fighters film. I actually saw that on my iPhone. Unfortunately, the reason why I'm saying this is, A, I'm an idiot. I shouldn't I shouldn't have done that because it, it deserves a big screen. And when we get to Studio 66, 666, not Studio 66, Studio 666, as in The Number of the Beast, once we get to that film, it is the movie, it is the only movie out of the movies we're covering this week that's actually only playing in theaters. So we're, we're going to get to that in a second. First off, I want to start off with a movie called The Burning Sea, set in Norway, North Sea in Norway. It's a disaster film. I, I think it's a pretty simple story, and I don't mean that in a bad way. It's it's a very streamlined story. There is an oil explosion off the coast, out in the sea. The only way, and a lot of people's lives, oil, what is it, oil workers in the area, they're, 
their uh, not only is their job in jobs in jeopardy, their lives are in jeopardy by staying out in the sea because if they stay out in the sea any longer, everything around them will explode. It's an environmental disaster. Comes out on Friday on in theaters and on demand, The Burning Sea, and it's up to this one woman and her coworker. What they do is they they sort of um, they have what do they do? They they're in charge of the, just the technology. They have some kind of rope, like a robotic equipment situation, and they can actually monitor what goes on under the sea and to see if they can save some of the people who are maybe trapped within the ship or within the within the confines of the area. So they go out and they actually go on a rescue mission. She, the woman, the lead, the lead of the film, she goes in a rescue mission to find her boyfriend, who is one of the people who might be trapped. Actually, he's one of the people left behind in this disaster. Again, the movie is called. The Burning Sea. Let us start off with Bruce Perky. I, I love this movie. Four stars straight ahead. Highly recommend this movie. It's it's a cut above your action movies that will come out from Hollywood. Okay, this this movie really resonated with me. I love the lead actress. I wish I could pronounce her name. While Bruce is giving his take on this, I'm going to see if I can actually pronounce it correctly. Bruce, your take on The Burning Sea. Well, I will definitely lead, leave you to pronounce her name. So that's, that's on you. Go for it. Um, yeah, Christine Kujath Thorpe, I think. Perfect. Uh, well, this is, this is like a, an interesting kind of a, a, I don't know what you call it, a subgenre or a, uh, I don't know what it is, but the, these Nordic disaster movies have kind of become a mini trend over the last, I don't know, what is it, five, six, seven years. Sure. Um, I started it watching it with The Wave. And then The Wave had a sequel called The Quake. And The Quake was directed by John Andreas Anderson, who I believe is the director of this movie as well. Yes. And even though they're not the same director for all three movies, they all have this kind of, they have this common characteristic of being, um, you know, somewhat sensationalized because they're supposed to be, you know, kind of popcorn entertainment and thrilling and all that. But they all have a grounding in some kind of real science, and they don't go into the moonfall, you know, kind of territory. They stay pretty, pretty realistic overall. And even things like in this movie, you talked about it. They have this kind of um, remote, submersible um, kind of a like it looks like a torpedo, kind of like an eel almost. Right. It's like this robotic robotic camera slash rescue. Um, device that they can remotely control and send into, uh, in this case, like a an oil derrick that's partially submerged and may have survivors inside, that sort of a thing. And I, I looked it up, and I guess that is a the company that they show as the maker of that is a real company. And what they show, even though they might be showing a digital version of it, that device actually does exist. So I thought that was kind of interesting to see that you have some real kind of science mixed in with it. And I really appreciate that as well. Um, this is a really, like you said, it's streamlined. It's, it's, it's a basic, simple story, but I think it's done pretty well. Uh, there isn't a ton of um, filler. There's not a ton of um, blown up characters, although there is kind of an evil, <laughs> there's kind of an evil uh, corporate guy that almost reminded me of some of the stuff you get in the eighties with like Robocop and stuff. But to some degree, he is making reasonable decisions, but he, like uh, any, quote, good, quote, bad businessman, he's making it um, based on just logic and not necessarily on the welfare of certain people. Sometimes the people who have to make the trains run on time, they end up being the big villains, and that's a byproduct, yeah. right? 
but they yeah but they don't make him like a mustache twirling villain like he's just like hey this is this we had this or this which is the worst evil okay i'm gonna pick option a it's the word it's the lesser of the two evils even though in in the situation shown here that's going to cause some extreme danger for the main people involved um i thought this was really good i thought this was really effective um you know, it doesn't probably have the same budget that a Hollywood movie does. So, you know, some of the effects might be a tiny bit not quite as good. But honestly, they're pretty good. I I, I really enjoyed this quite a bit. What's your rating on this? I'll probably go three and a half. Um, it, you know, we, we keep saying room to grow. I say about three and a half. It's, it's good. I, I could have used maybe... I kind of wanted there to be more people involved. I almost wanted to be more of like a... Not Poseidon Adventure exactly, but I would have liked to have been more than just, you know, her and the guy she's trying to get. Like, it would have been interesting to see multiple people involved and have to deal with that situation as well. Okay, so that's three and a half stars for Bruce Brookie. Eric Holmes, your turn on The Burning Sea. Yeah, this this should be the baseline for these type of movies, disaster movies. Like, uh talked about Moonfall and, you know, Roland Emmerich and Michael Bay usually get a I don't want to say a pass because, you know, people certainly shit on them, uh, myself included, um, exclusively. <laughs> but uh, they they seem to get a pass somewhat of being able to make stupid movies. And it's like, oh, it's just a blockbuster action movie. Well, that's kind of what this is. And it's not stupid. And but it's not like air quote smart, you know, is it like it's it's too good for the movie it's trying to be. It's it's a really effective um you know disaster uh disaster movie, um really effective blockbuster type action movie. Um I think the set pieces are really good. Uh the characters are well written, so you give a shit about them. Like I'm not I'm not watching this movie like if something bad happens to a character, I'm not cheering. <laughs> I'm, I'm usually kind of uh, on the edge of my seat going, Oh fuck, don't do that. Don't do that. You're going to hurt yourself. Oh, you're going to kill so-and-so, you know, but, and uh, yeah, this, I I would say this movie's really good. Unfortunately, this should be the, again, this should be the baseline. This should be um, the, uh, you know, the minimum requirement of this type of movie and then, you know, go above it. But as such, these type of movies are usually really bad. So this one kind of this one kind of gets bumped up a couple notches because it it, it was able to hey we're gonna do that stupid action movie, but we're not gonna talk down to the audience. You know we're gonna we're gonna earn our moments and we're gonna have some uh, and we're still gonna have some thrills and uh, you know big action set pieces while doing that. And yeah, I, I just really appreciate that this movie proves that you can do all that without having to sacrifice story, without having to sacrifice character, and still remain engaging. So good on you, Burning Sea. <laughs> good on you, but very good, Eric. What's your star star rating on this one? I, I probably I'm kind of with Bruce on three and a half, but since this kind of um, since I think this is kind of rising the tide, so to speak, I'd have to go. I'd have to go four stars on this one. Okay, four stars for Eric Holmes. Four stars for me. Three and a half stars for Bruce Perky. I also like the fact that the leads, the lead actors, the people who are doing all the action in this movie, they're just normal people. Again, again, it's Christine Kujath, I, I, Thorpe, I, I believe. She's very good as the lead character, Sophia. She's, there's nothing special about her. She's not a superheroine, but she's a good actress and she's, she knows how to anchor the narrative. Also, the fact that this movie is saying something about 
our environment, our need to con- to help the environment. We're going to talk about environmental stuff later on in this episode, but it doesn't say it. It doesn't specifically point out the message like in broad daylight. Hey, look, this is completely bad. Oil bad. Water good. Leave us alone. No, it just it gets right. It, it gets right to the action, which I adored. You know, which I really loved. Is, did you did you guys agree, or did you think the message was was hit home a little bit too hard? Um, I, I actually I I like the message, and I also liked how they. Uh, I don't know if we can talk about it. I, I, how they decide to um, because the so the woman's going to get the the guy that's trapped on that oil derrick, right, and there's other things going on around there. Um, and the people in charge are making a decision on how to go about that, which puts them in even more danger. I don't know how much more I can say beyond that. I think that's probably good enough. Right, yeah. Good. But uh, I, 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 yeah, I think Bruce kind of touched on this. I, I like how uh, the, you know, the air quote bad guy was making decisions, but they're, they're not making the best decisions, but they're making decisions the best decisions they can given the, given the uh, circumstances. And uh, I guess I just lost because he asked about the, uh, the uh, um, environmental aspect of it. But I think the decisions that they make kind of highlight uh, certain aspects of, you know, environmental risk you take when say digging for oil or drilling for oil or, you know, having oil derricks such as these. Yeah. Bruce. I was just going to add on to what Eric was saying. This is, a, this is a perfect example of how this is different than the way the Hollywood movie would approach it. There's a point early on where she discovers something bigger is happening than what they originally thought that's causing a bigger threat to the oil wells. And she takes this evidence to the bigwig CEO guy, and he takes the evidence from her. Now, in big Hollywood movie, he takes it from her and he destroys it or hides it and just leaves her on her own to like fight it. He doesn't do that. And I was really surprised. He takes that information. He takes it to heart. He goes to everybody and says, like, we need to do something now. And they start doing something now. I Obviously, it doesn't totally work out because people are in danger for the rest of this movie. But that's a perfect example of how this movie doesn't just paint everything in this black and white way. It's actually smart enough to, to, to take it in a realistic sense that all these characters are acting in ways that they think are right. Like no one is doing it out of malice. And I yeah. think that's really interesting to have. Very good. Like it doesn't pander. I, that was a great point. I, I was thinking that was going to happen and it didn't pander. They could have pandered and raised the dramatic stakes even more, but they refused to do it, make it normal. So again, that is a movie. It's a uh, four stars for me, four stars for Eric Holmes, the burning sea, three and a half stars for Bruce Perky would definitely check this out if you can in theaters and on demand as well on Friday. Now, next up is a Foo Fighters film. Bruce and Eric, are you a are you, do you guys like the Foo Fighters or Foo Fighters? Do you lo- do you enjoy their music? Do you do you tolerate it? How do you guys feel about their music in general? I was a bigger fan of Nirvana, um, but I I did get a couple of Foo Fighters songs. They're not, you know, they're not my favorite, but there's a there's a couple that I jam once in a while. Um, I, I think I like Dave Grohl as a personality more than than I like the the music, but yeah, I, I don't hate them, but I'm not in love with them either. Bruce? Exactly the same. I was more to Nirvana than I was, the, and I am the Foo Fighters. But once again, I don't hate the Foo Fighters. They are a good rock band. 
And there aren't that many rock bands these days. And they do it, and they do it well, and they do it fairly unpretentiously. And uh, I mean, I have no animosity towards them. And they have a few a few great songs, a few bangers, as we say. <laughs> There's bangers. a few of them out there. <laughs> well, Studio 66, uh, Studio 666, okay, Number of the Beast, Studio 666. It's it seems it would seem like a vanity project with Foo with Foo Fighters, with Dave Grohl at the helm. He's obviously the lead of this movie, and it's dramatically he's dramatically the lead. He's the one who gets most of the lines, most of the scenes. He's the one who's anchoring the narrative. His fellow ba- bandmates also get their share of screen time as well. Now, the cool thing about this movie is it's not. It feels like a vanity project, but it's not. It's a really cool. <laughs> I really enjoyed this horror comedy, and the premise is. The band, they're trying to actually make their manager some money. He, Their manager, played by Jeff Garland, he needs the money. He needs them to actually make their 10th album. He wants it to be a hit. So they decide he rent, He has them move into an Encino mansion up in the hills of, of Encino to actually, and this mansion supposedly, I think without some of the bandmates knowing, it might be a haunted haunted mansion. We we as the viewers know because there's something that grisly that happens within the opening moments of this narrative. But the rest of the movie has the bandmates, especially Dave Grohl, getting in the mansion and realizing they're... They, I don't even know if they even realize it, but there is something amiss going on. There might be possession. There might be a haunting. There might be ghosts. There might be demons and devils. It's But it's not a psychological horror film where it's atmospheric. It's just over-the-top gory and it's comedic. So that is the premise of Studio 666. Eric Holmes, overall, did you really enjoy this movie? Yes, a lot. Um, this this reminded me a lot of, uh, if anyone listening has ever seen Rock and Roll Nightmare uh, with uh, John Michael Thor. And it's uh, similar. that uh, They they go and they're in this house and the house has monsters in it and, you know, a bunch of, you know, all hell breaks loose. This is almost almost the exact same plot as that. Um, but this, uh, this, you know, it's certainly rough around the edges. I think uh, like Dave Grohl's pretty good in this. Uh, the Who's the keyboard player? The the cool guy. Uh, oh, he's yeah. pretty good in this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Pat Smear is not the greatest actor, but he still has a couple. He still has a couple good parts for the most part. They're not all great actors, um, but it's this isn't that, that kind of movie, you know. This is like, uh, hey guys, um, fuck it, we got a weekend. Let's uh, let's make a movie. Cool. All right. And then they they just it, it, that's that's what it felt like. I'm sure there was a lot more went into it than that. Um, a long time ago, with some friends, we made a movie over the weekend called Lick the Evil. <laughs> Didn't look anywhere near as good as this, but it, it had that same kind of energy where it's like, oh, you know, we're just going to fuck around, have uh, have some fun. Um, you know, uh, yeah, it, it's a it's a fun horror movie. I think people have a lot of fun with it. And uh, it's certainly better than a uh, movie that's completely full of itself that's on Netflix right now <laughs> featuring a chainsaw <laughs> oh oh okay well, yeah i think it's uh, is it set in texas i don't i don't know what, what yeah. this movie is about anyways here's here's another thing there's a lot of jokes in this movie and the jokes for the most part land there are a couple of really cool cameos there is a moment there is a cameo moment where dave Grohl is sitting i think it's by the keyboards or piano and he's starting to play something and i go no you are not going to play this song and he plays it and something happens and i thought that was i actually laughed out loud it was really funny there's a lot of funny moments on one level and the gore is 
it, it really gets bloody, but it's not squeamish bloody because within the context of the narrative. So I, I enjoyed it just as much as Eric did. Bruce, your take on this? Oh, yes. Real quick, I, I, that, that cameo you're talking about, that was spoiled. I think it was on like uh, one of the late night talk shows. Um, oh, I don't want to spoil it here because that I didn't know. Yeah. I, yeah. I saw that after the fact and that cameo was really great. Um, but I also wanted to point out uh, Whitney Cummings is re- in, in this. She's really, I, I think everyone in this movie knows what movie they're in. You know, they, they yeah. uh, what's the, what's the word? They knew the assignment. <laughs> they knew the assignment. But yeah, it's a very, very funny lemon bar bit, which I'm, which we're not going to spoil regarding Whitney Cummings. I, I laughed at that too. It's a stupid joke, but it, it's a throwaway joke. And I laughed. Bruce, did you, are you on board with this movie? I am on board with this movie. I had a lot of fun with it. And once again, pretty much in line with what Eric is saying, um, this movie is so good natured and so just having fun with itself. It's not all up its own ass. You know, it doesn't think it's important. And what I thought was really interesting is in a lot of ways, this is kind of a throwback movie. Like you said, you know, this, you know, popular band gets a vanity project, pick your or performer, you know, Prince or whoever it is, you know, they get their vanity projects, they make their, their movie. And then usually it's a way to string it together, a bunch of, musical performances or songs. I was very happily surprised that this didn't have a bunch of Foo Fighter songs in the the movie. They actually made a movie. And the song that is being performed in this movie throughout is integral to the plot. There's a reason they're doing it. Um, and like you said, there's a bunch of practical gore that's, that's really fun and interesting. Plus, <laughs> I almost thought about how this might have been pitched by Dave Grohl to the other bandmates. I'm not going to say because I don't want to spoil, but I can imagine him saying like, hey, we're going to make a movie and this is what's going to happen to all you guys. I'm just going to leave it at that. And I can just imagine that was pretty funny probably too. Um, Best use of uh, the band Jackal ever in a movie, I would say. Uh, It is the best chainsaw kill that I've seen in the last week. And I saw a movie that was all about chainsaw kills, but this was the best one. We love you, Netflix. By far. We love you, Netflix. (laughs) Um... I didn't say anything. You said it. Um, oh no, no. I, I just, I, I was just um, th- thinking out loud. Thinking out loud. Sorry. Sorry. And a stupid running joke in this movie is all about making sure you bring ranch, and that hit extra great for me because every time I go out and get stuff like fast food, if I forget ranch for my wife, she's really upset. So on uh, the whole movie, I was like, "This is Dave. Dave knows me. He knows me." Um, yeah. This is this is just fun, dumb. Uh, this is definitely like Saturday night, people are over, you want to throw something on, you don't have to pay too close of attention to it. And every so often something will happen and you'll all stop and go like, oh, whoa, you get another beer or get another, you know, a chip <laughs> with your ranch or whatever you're drink, drinking and eating that night. This is a lot of fun. I liked it a lot. Also, I like Foo Fighters a little bit more than both of you guys, but I don't have all of their albums. Okay. So I have a playlist of Foo Fighter songs that I do like. I also enjoyed how this movie doesn't do a deep dive on their body of work because this could have been a self-promotional type of movie. But the songs, I'm not going to give which which songs they spotlight, but the songs they spotlight in this movie are so obviously not for promotion because these are already standout right. songs. <laughs> I mean, what is, just name a couple of songs that Foo Fighters cannot promote, should should never promote because they're, they're too popular. For And, and yeah, it, it shows up in this movie. So basically they're not... In a way, it's a self-promotional film, but they're really not promoting 
themselves as much as the fact that, like Eric was saying, they're out there, they're having a, a good time. It's a lark, and to top it all off, they want to make a good story. An, a complaint here's a complaint this movie might receive. It's 105 minutes. The third act, it goes on and on and on. People might want a 90 minute trim, but I loved how you think it's going to end one second. And then it keeps on going, and then it keeps on going. I I liked all the different layers to the third act. Eric and Bruce, what did you think of that when that the third act of it did it land oh, for the, you? The word. Oh yeah, I, I, I loved it. Yeah, <laughs> it was very yeah, yeah. very very gory, very violent, and I was kind of there for it. If I would have trimmed anything, I would have trimmed the middle act a little bit. I would have trimmed with. Uh, there's a little probably one or two too many practice scenes they probably could have tightened that up a little bit in the middle that's but i mean it's a mild complaint but i would not have trimmed anything in the end because that's where all the the blood really starts flying so no the thing about the practice scenes though is i i really like that song that they were jamming out to and oh i i mentioned this to you guys so uh my friend's band blood cow i got huge blood cow vibes off of that that food fighter song and um Maybe I'll have to post it in the cinematics whenever we put this up. But, uh, and I doubt anyone from the Foo Fighters will listen to this. But if they do, you need to get Blood Cow back together and tour with you guys because, uh, you'll clearly love them. <laughs> and they have put out at least one song that was supposedly made by the band that was previously there. At least one of those songs is out. And they really need to put out a limited edition picture disc that's the one song only. And it should be the whole song. Yeah. Oh, they need yes. to do that. They yes. need to do that for collectors and people who want to get weird stuff. 35 the, minutes of it. The the director of this movie, um, he, I, I forget his name, but he did. Uh, BJ McDonald. Yeah, it was about a year or two ago. They had like three different Slayer videos and all the all the videos were kind of connected, almost like a, a you know, a, a giant size short, basically. Um, first of all, you know. If you work with Slayer, you're automatically on the cool list because Slayer's awesome. But uh, yeah, I forgot where I was going with that. But <laughs> where were you going with that? I, I guess I Slayer, just wanted an excuse to talk wait, wait, about wait, Slayer. Slayer, John oh, Carpenter is doing the, the I, title. What? Yeah. I, oh, yeah, we can't talk about that cameo. That, that was a good cameo. <laughs> but uh, there was uh, uh, watching this. I, I was, you know, that rock and roll nightmare with John Michael Thor, and then you got this. And I'm trying to think of, I guess, Pink Floyd, The Wall, kind of. But I'd, I'd like to see more bands do stuff like this. Kind of, uh, hey, we're, you know, we're going to be in a movie, you know, may, um, you know, maybe make like a Ed Wood type movie or or maybe, uh, you know, maybe you want to do a science fiction or horror, whatever, whatever kind of movie you like. I, I like the idea of bands just kind of getting together. And it's like, um, you know, they do music videos. This is just a longer music video, so I'd, I'd like to see uh, more bands kind of take the bull by the horn and run with this sort of thing. Now, granted, you know, it could you know get to a point where it becomes uh, too much, but right now there's hardly any of it. So fuck it, go nuts. Okay, cool. Get that in is- early if you can. <laughs> so ratings, I give Studio Six 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 just because Six Six Six. I give this movie four stars. I'm a Foo Fighters fan. I just thought the movie, the jokes landed. It's a lark. Some people might not, it might, it has a specified taste, but I really love the whole, whole horror comedy element of it. And it didn't take itself too seriously. Four stars for me. Bruce, what about you? Um, realistically, for most people, it's probably going to be 
three-star movie, but for me, it's four-star as well, because I think there's just there's just enough fun to be had here. I, I smiled throughout, so I can't <laughs> knock it down any lower than four stars. Very cool. How about you? Finally, Eric Holmes, what'd you, yeah. what do you give it? I'm going to have to go four and a half, because this is, this is like, you know, one of those movies that calls it shot and just hits it perfect. Granted, the shot's not that far, but still, they called it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that this this is one of those movies I can watch over and over again, and, and I'll probably be quoting it soon enough. So, four and a half. And if you watch it over and over again, there's there are things on the first viewing we're going to miss. Little red herrings, you know, people who worked in this, maybe some of the cameos or maybe some of the in-jokes. So it's a movie that you can watch more than one time. Again, this is a really interesting movie. We all loved it. Four stars for me, four stars for Bruce Perky, Eric Holmes, four and a half stars. Thank you, Eric Holmes, for putting 4.5 on, on, on my Google Doc to make life easier for me. F you, Bruce, for never making life easy for me. Studio 666. I'm kidding, Bruce. I love you very much. Okay, so it's out only in theaters on Friday, February 25th. Next up, this might be a five-star banger, folks. Five-star banger. Are you ready for the five-star banger? Ready? Eric Holmes, what am I talking about? Um, Gasoline Alley. Gasoline Alley. Five-star banger. Yeah, let, me, right. let me put the star rating for Bruce on there real quick. <laughs> Bruce, stop it. We only go up to five stars, not six <laughs> stars, my friend. What is this with the six stars? It's only five stars. Anyways, Gasoline Alley. How do I start with this? It, it's a movie that stars Devin Sawa. We all like a lot of his work. We all we all love in different ways. Devin Sawa's performance and work in The Fanatic, really interesting movie. And I think Eric Holmes and Bruce Perky, they liked another Devin Sawa film that came out a couple of years ago. I forgot the movie that I'm thinking about right now. But this movie also stars Bruce Willis and Luke Wilson. Devin Sawa, he plays a LA tattoo artist. He has his own shop somewhere in the middle of Los Angeles. He's being framed for murder of this escort. At the beginning of the movie, he meets his escort, I believe, at a watering, a local watering hole. And she's found with several other women murdered we're assuming they're escorts as well and the lighter of his store the lighter which says the name of his store the name of his tattoo store tattoo parlor is called gasoline alley so just the fact that the, the his lighter was found at the scene of the crime he is immediately blamed he's suspect number one in this murder of these several women the detectives on the case are played by bruce willis and luke wilson it is an la noir Modern Day Noir, directed by Edward Drake. And yeah, I am just... Maybe Bruce Perky did not give this six stars. I want to know what Bruce Perky thinks in a second. But first, let's start off with Eric Holmes. Your thoughts on Gasoline Alley? Um, It, it, it was decent. Um, I think I really liked uh, Luke Wilson in this. Um, I'm sure... I, I don't know what how many stars Bruce is going to give it, but I'm sure the other Bruce, that being Bruce Willis probably doesn't like this very much because he was just completely checked out. But then I was listening to a, a middle-class film class and they were talking about how Bruce Willis might not be there mentally. I don't know this to be the case. So I kind of don't want to talk too much shit on Bruce Willis about this. Cause I feel really bad about it. If it's uh if his, uh, you know, being checked out of the movie has to do with uh, medical issues. Um, this this movie started off kind of like a decent kind of B movie, uh, B movie like a you know uh, crime thriller, I guess if you want to call it. 
Uh, but then it just kind of dragged on and kind of became less and less impressive. Pretty much anytime Luke Wilson popped up, I was I was invested. Unfortunately, it doesn't pop up nearly enough. And-, and let's just mention this. Luke Wilson, he plays a detective, but it's not the normal Luke Wilson role. His character, his, he's a cop who's sort of a wiseacre, wisecracking cop, and he's, yeah, he's sarcastic. A, and he basically, He's an asshole, but well, he's like basically, a funny asshole. Funny a-hole, right. And he basically spends most of the narrative busting the chops of Jimmy Jane. That's the person played by Devin Sawa. So they have sort of a dynamic in the film as Bruce laughs. Eric, Jimmy Jane. No, Jimmy Jane. James, James Jane. Jane. <laughs> James Jane. Jimmy Jane. Jimmy Jane. Come on. Eric, I'm sorry. <laughs> but yeah, the uh, overall, this movie doesn't quite come together. And the thing is, when we went in, like, because you kind of gave me a little heads up on what this was going to be. So I was ready for this type of movie. And sometimes I do like movies like this. This one just didn't, it, it didn't quite come together. Um, even even with the with the low bar that I usually set for movies like this, it just, I, I don't know. Um, two stars for you, Eric? What do you think? Mm, yeah, I'd probably say two and a half because th- there there was some stuff I liked about it, but overall it, w- it was just one of those. Uh, it was just kind of a hit and a miss. Where like Studio Six 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 called it shot and hit it. This one called it shot, but it kind of whiffed it a little bit. But it, it wasn't a complete loss. But it's not really one I can recommend in good conscience, even for people that like silly move. You know, uh, silly movies kind of like this. Bruce, two yes. and a half stars for Eric Holmes. You ready for this? Or you go, you're putting on your mitts. I, I see you're putting out your, your no, box gloves no. for this. No. I mean, this is a, this really isn't. I mean, if I'm into B movies, uh, I will give my leeway usually to horror movies that are B movies. But B movies like these kind of B movies usually kind of just don't work for me very well out of the gate. And I think this is directed by Edward Drake. I believe he is in that um, Bruce Willis uh, movie factory. That's just chugging out these movies you know five or six a year yeah he has a new one he has a movie with bruce willis called apex is currently out on netflix right now yeah so these are these are there's a whole bunch of these kind of going out these kind of real cheapy movies and um they don't work too well for me um i okay on the plus side uh devin sawa is i think he's really trying in this movie i think he is really putting an effort in i thought of all the three he was the one i thought that was really putting putting a lot of attempt to make, kind of create a full character in what with what he had. Uh, by the way, that movie you were trying to think of was Hunter Hunter. That was a B movie that I did like from a couple years ago, but I can see people not liking that one too. You know, um, what is this movie? How do you describe it? Um, I thought about it. And I thought this movie is like, um, it's like that uncle you have or that guy in the family. He's like in his mid forties. He he loves Fireball. Maybe on weekends, every other weekend, he plays in a like a Limp Biscuit cover band or George Thorogood cover band. And you are describing me to a T. Yeah, <laughs> I know, I'm thinking, I'm, I feel yeah. Wow. Um, I, I was gonna say, and I now I feel bad about saying, but I was gonna say, I think Bruce Willis forgot he was in this movie as he was in it. Um, and if he if there actually is a truth to that, then I do feel kind of bad. I don't know that's the case. Uh, I don't know. Uh, yeah, he definitely, there was like the scenes where he'd start out in the scene and he would just like, okay, see ya. And he just kind of wander out of the scene. And I was like, what's, what's happening here? Um, yeah, there isn't really much for me here. Um, I don't hate this movie. It doesn't anger me. So I'm, I guess if you like B action movies, this might be like, 
you know, two and a half, two stars, somewhere like that. I can't imagine you loving it. For me, it's probably only a one star, unfortunately. I just, it's not for me. One star is for Bruce Berkey, um, two and a half stars for Eric Holmes. Gasoline Alley for me has it gets four stars. I absolutely loved every second of Gasoline no, Alley. No. It worked okay. on every single friggin' level. Intervention. I went. No, no, no. Get there. I, give... This is one. This is how much I yes. love this movie. After yes. <laughs> after I watched this movie. By the way, this movie is written by Edward John Drake, who's also the director, and it's also co-written by Tom Sergio. Tom Sergio was the screenwriter behind this really awesome film back in the day that I loved as a college student called Untamed Heart. I Bruce was talking about giving extra points or maybe sort of being a little bit forgiving with horror films. I have a bias towards a couple of things. I have an, a distinct bias towards whatever Bruce Willis movie factory that I think publications like Red Letter Media put out about the Bruce Willis movie factor, factory. I have a bias towards that, number one. And I have a huge bias for, for noirs. First of all, I really loved how this movie was shot in LA, even though they had, I think at the end it says Georgia, but they doubled for LA. I like what they were trying to do with, by not making it, com- by actually some of the sequences inside the tattoo parlor with the, with the colors, with the, way, with the way they play with the colors. There's some dialogue scenes with Jimmy Jane and some of the, the supporting actors I thought were, were really well done. I thought the chemistry between Luke Wilson and Devin Sow, I wish there was more of them in the movie. There were, their scenes together were good. To Bruce's point, Devin Sawa really is making an effort in this movie, and I thought he was great, as even though Bruce was laughing at his moniker as Jimmy Jane. Here's here's this guy who's in, in the noir. He's not your stereotypical cop on his last legs, or he's not a person who is uh, has a, a dark past over a woman. He's just a guy who's, well, well, it's a certain trope that he's a man who's framed, but he's not your typical wrongful straight arrow straight laced guy he's a tattoo artist so this uh, it it plays a little bit with the noir tropes i liked his character i was really involved with the entire story look has bruce willis been in better has he been a better performer in other films yes yes he's he's basically a ghost walking throughout this movie but i see the value in having someone like a bruce willis and i, I can't believe i'm saying this with this bruce willis movie factory i'm sure even though he might be the highest paid in the whole production maybe he gets them the money they need to make this movie get maybe he gets a movie greenlight greenlit and so that means we get to see more scenes with devin sawa with luke wilson and maybe i i just loved everything and oh yeah Kenny Wormald, Wormald, I think I'm mispronouncing his name. He was the lead in the Footloose remake. He's also a professional dancer, choreographer, all that stuff. He plays this sort of action hero type guy, and I liked his part too. It's sort of a weird movie that has, has all these gumbo pot kind of references. I love this movie so much, and I can't, I'm sure I'm shocking Eric Holmes and Bruce Perkins as I go on this uh, gasoline alley deep dive. I love this film so much as after I watch this film, I actually emailed the publicist for Gasoline Alley and personally requested an interview with Edward John Drake, which I will be having in the next day. That's how much I am such a huge, huge fan of Gasoline Alley. Sorry for, for doing this to you guys. But yeah, no. I'm sure there's, in fairness, there's going to be a lot of people who are not big fans of this movie. I just want to say there are people who will like this. Maybe I might be the only one. Maybe, I don't know. I just fell in love with Gasoline Alley. Will I watch right. it again? Yes. Right. Yeah. Don't. Don't apologize. <laughs> Just love it. Just take yeah, it I, in and I love, love it. it. It's okay. 
This is a no-brainer four stars for me with a caveat. We have to mention caveat. No, no, that stop. It's a, it's a no-brainer. Just right there. He cut, cut right there. With a, four stars for me, easy four stars for me, except put into context that Eric gave this two and a half stars and Bruce gave this one star. Again, that is Gasoline Alley in theaters on digital and on demand Friday, February 25th. I don't know if Bruce Perky and Eric Holmes will want to continue doing this show after my my just stunning praise of gasoline alley. Oh, Next, see, I, I, I actually like the stunning praise because it made it, it makes me feel a little better because I, I felt bad about not liking this one, but the fact that, that you loved it as much as you do makes me feel good. So good for you. You know, and also in fairness with the whole Bruce Willis movie factory, I was watching that whole thing with red letter media. They're saying, Oh, these movies make money because usually the people who watch it are, are men from the ages of 35 to 50. I'm 50, right up my alley. This is a movie. That right is, up your gasoline alley. Right up my right up my gasoline alley. Okay. Finally, for the featured, we're, by the way, we're ultimately, as soon as we're done recording the show, we're going to do a quick review of The Desperate Hour, which we'll put on our YouTube channel as well. And you're going to see our, our new YouTube channel, which is a combination of cinematics and find your film. We're going to have different stuff on it. It's uh, We're going to have the, please support that channel. We have very little subscribers right now, maybe 400 subscribers. We're trying to get to 1,000. But most importantly, we want to use it for, what are we going to put on the channel? Eric Holmes, Bruce, I'm, I'm talking too much. What do, you, what do you guys want to see on the channel? That cinematics. Uh, mostly fan your mostly film porn. Mostly, mostly porn? porn? Okay, that, okay, we'll do that. Hey, Bruce, what do you think? Maybe uh, get clean oh, alley. Yeah. Besides, Eric Holmes, what do you think? What, what, what do you want there? What do you want, Bruce, on it on the channel? Uh, gasoline Alley 2, Alleys of Fire. I don't Alleys know. Alleys of Fire. Um, <laughs> but anyways, we'll no, have favorite. We'll yeah. have like um, physical media discussions. We might have some other surprises on there. Maybe we're going to have like uh, individual reviews, just one-off reviews that we come up with, interviews. Who knows? All kinds of stuff. I even have an idea for something that I haven't even talked to you you guys about no you should you don't be like me because i always keep things so don't 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 be a don't be a jerk like me don't be a jerk like greg but i'm excited bruce i'm excited to hear what your surprise is and an idea with our new uh cinematics and it's not new it's a repurposed cinematics and find your film channel again you will see that link in our show notes subscribe you'll get some extra interesting content yes especially our review of the naomi watts film the desperate hour which i believe might be i think bruce texted me this he said this might be the best film since vampire from from 80 years ago so i almost 100 years ago it is the best of a certain kind of movie that i've seen so far this year let's just say that (laughs) okay Okay. oh that is a tantalizing teaser now we're not done with our featured reviews because i am actually putting eric on the stand with with right now and my fault for bruce perky not telling bruce perky or asking bruce perky to watch the last mark because again this movie is available on vod march 1st but hits theaters this friday february 25th but you know what here's the thing though six hours ago it says here it's actually right now it is promoting itself as only available on demand march 1st who knows i will check if it's actually going to be in theaters this friday but by the time we actually record this it'll be past march 1st actually bruce you're going to be able to hopefully within last week within the next week you'll be able to see it we can actually talk about it a little bit more but eric holmes the last mark, it centers on this aging hitman, played by Sean Doyle, and he's he's supposed to kill someone. He's supposed to kill this escort. This escort is played by Alexia Fast. The thing is, he doesn't kill her because he he's a partner with the he. There's two hitmen. They go into a motel and they kill the man. They kill their mark. But there's one last mark, and that last mark is the 
the escort. And this aging hitman, played by Sean Doyle, for some reason, he has a moment of conscience and he decides to actually run away with this escort. And then they hold up in a sort of hideaway house waiting for the other hitman to actually come confront them. That's the premise of The Last Mark. This is a movie that surprised me. It's a low-budget fair uh, directed by Reem Morsi. And I really ended up loving this movie. Four stars for me, just a straight-ahead 85-minute action thriller with a lot of character stuff in it, but it doesn't overstay its welcome. Your thoughts, Eric Holmes, on this? Yeah. um, On paper, this seems like a movie you've seen a hundred times. If you watch the trailer, it looks like a movie you've seen a hundred times. But I think where this one kind of goes above and beyond is the way the characters interact with each other, the way it was written. Um, When uh, characters are about to say the cliche thing that they would at that moment, the, the, these characters go in a different direction, not wildly different, but just different enough that kind of uh, makes us stand out. This everyone, everyone, uh, Alexia fast as Peyton, Sean Doyle, uh, uh, Bryce Hodgson, he's the he's the other uh, assassin that's, yes. that collects heads. He's he's really great in this. And uh, Josh uh, Crudis, uh, he was the the weird guy from anything for Jack anything for Jackson, the okay. the the shaman guy. He he shows up in a little bit. There, there's a bunch of uh, little you know bit characters that pop up, and they all they all get their chance to shine. And this is just. Um, it's not a wildly different version of this kind of movie, but it's, it, it tweaks it just enough to kind of put you at, like uh, at least it put me at unease and not in like a bad way, but in a way like, okay, I know what, I know what the scene is. Let's see how they do this. Cause I, after watching the movie for, you know, being halfway through the movie, I knew it wasn't going to go the way, um, you know, the, the conversations weren't going to go the way I expected them to. And, um, there's a, you know, there's a bit of, uh, it, it kind of falls apart a little bit at the end, not, not completely, but, uh, I think overall, this was a really strong movie and I, uh, let's see, we got Cheryl Meyer, uh, who wrote the screenplay from a story by Bruno Marino directed by Reem Morsi and yeah, everyone, everyone came to work and everyone, as far as I can tell, you know, as far as I'm concerned, everyone just kind of knocked their respective jobs out of the park and did a great job, made a great movie in the process. I was surprised how much I liked this movie. I mean, you actually messaged me that you were saying, I don't know what I'm watching, but I, I kind of yeah. dig it. Were, were you just surprised? Like, oh, this is actually pretty good, right? You're, when yeah, you're yeah it? It, 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 it's hard to explain because you kind of got to watch it and you're not going to get this from watching the trailer and you're not going to get this from reading the what it's about. You just kind of got to watch it. Like uh, um, like the uh, the Patriot, I guess the TV show, the Patriot, how it, it goes. It's, it, it, it's something you've seen before, but it's just a little off. And, and that, you know, that little, and I don't want to call it quirkiness because then you'll think it's a Wes Anderson movie. This is not a Wes Anderson movie, but it, it's got, you know, it's just off just a little, just enough to kind of, you know, give it a little something extra. And I, and just that little tiny change worked a lot for me. Okay. So this is the last mark. How many stars do you give this Eric Holmes? Oh, this, this, uh, this is probably be four and a half. I almost want to give this. I almost want to give this one a five. 
I, wow. I think I think if the ending was a lot stronger, this would easily be a five star. And you know what? Fuck, it, I'm just going to do it because I, I I really like this one. Five stars or four and a half stars? Five, five stars. I, I'm going five stars. Five star. Five stars. <laughs> a five stars effort from Eric Holmes. You you know, and also here's the thing. This is why this is a really cool endorsement, and I like the way that Eric Holmes bring what Eric Holmes brings to the whole podcast. Because unlike me and Bruce, who were I mean, I, I'm sorry, Bruce. I'm I'm going to speak out of turn on it for you a bit. But uh, Eric Holmes has a very uh, literary bent when it comes to the the actual words, and a lot of this movie, it, it's them in a freaking house bantering up not bantering there's not a lot of exposition but if though if that dialogue if that dialogue doesn't work this movie falls right yeah. eric it, it just it collapses on, onto itself and i'm so excited to see what bruce perky who eventually i think you and, have the screening link as well yes eric sorry um I'm, you know in the you mentioned to me uh what it would be like uh getting the director and i, I would even say the writers um just get this whole team back together and you said just give them a bigger budget and see what they come up with um you know actually this this would be this kind of comes off like a real similar to like a jim cummings movie or uh death of dick long probably closer to death of dick long where it's like it it, that that that's another example of where it's like it's the movie you've seen before but it's just a little off that kind of uh kind of sets it apart from other movies like this i I, I would love to see this whole this whole crew get back together and, and do something amazing and to have someone just throw a bunch of money at them and see what they come up with. Well, here, here you go. I, I came into the show thinking I'm going to be the one who's who give. I four star the last mark. And I'm, I'm the one who's going to be singing its praises. Eric Holmes comes in with a five star rating. One up, one ups me in the most <laughs> affectionate way. F you, Eric Holmes, for one upping me. Awesome job on that well, you, you, review. You one up me on the last, or uh, you one up me on Gasoline Alley. So I had to one up you on this. One. <laughs> And we can't wait till Darth Vader, Bruce Berkey gives his ultimate judgment on the last mark next week for Find Your Film. So stay tuned for that. But Bruce Perky will be back because he has a recommendation for this week. Eric, if you have a recommendation in your noggin, you can bring that up as well. Bruce, what is your big recommendation for this week? Uh, well, I saw a few good things, but I will recommend um, a movie that's been around for a while and I never got around to watching it. And that is... I am not your Negro by Paul Paul Raul Peck. Sorry, I got the name wrong. Raul Peck, a documentary about James Baldwin. Uh, this is on Amazon Prime and Hulu, and it's actually this is a really interesting documentary. The way it's done, I don't. Know if, I know at least one of you has probably seen this movie. Me and Anna Anderson, yeah. we, we we actually reviewed the movie back when it was released. I don't know. I don't know when it was released, Bruce. Maybe two thousand fifteen, two thousand sixteen. We both yeah. really loved it. Yeah. Yeah, and this this is really easy to get right now, and if you haven't seen it, it's worth a watch. I think this is one of those movies that could come across as really, um, I don't know, it could, be, could come across as really just generic documentary about civil rights and so on and so forth. But I think it has a really interesting take and a really interesting approach. Uh, one thing that's really good about it, I remember you guys, I remember at least Anderson talking about it at the time, uh, Samuel L. Jackson reads and kind of narrates a lot of the parts where it's supposed to be kind of the written word of James Baldwin, when you're not seeing actual interviews with James Baldwin, the voice of James Baldwin uh, from the written word is Samuel L. Jackson. And it's a very subdued uh, Samuel L. Jackson. In fact, all the way through, you're going to be like, is that him? Is that really him? It's really interesting. Really, really good and effective. Um, What this movie does, I think that's really interesting, is that it does kind of walk through some of the major beats of the civil rights movement, and especially... Uh, James Baldwin's 
kind of interaction with that movement and also especially how he interacted with uh, Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm X and Medgar Evers and some other people. But what it does also that I think is super effective, uh, that alone would be good enough. And if you watch it just from that kind of historical aspect, I think it's really effective. But on top of that, it's always contextualizing the uh, kind of the presentation of white and black America, especially as a way it's shown through movies. So of course, for our interest, that even gives it another layer, you know, there's this whole layer of movies and television and music and kind of what is presented as the palatable version of white and black America. And what is the reality of black and white America and what is kind of the mythology that's being told uh, it's, it's really good, really effective. I think this is um, a pretty fantastic documentary. I don't, I don't even know. I call it a documentary per se. It's kind of like a, I don't know, like a, a, a visual essay, almost more than a documentary, because there's there's elements of philosophy in there. There's elements of, um, you know, kind of like diary entries almost, and then there's stuff that's straight up documentary footage and things too. I think one of the barrier of entries to I am not your Negro is the fact that. It's a documentary with a writer at the center, and a lot of people will say, well, sometimes writers are boring. It might be just a talking head documentary. Truth to tell, James Baldwin, very charismatic, electric, yeah. electric figure, a talented writer, very insightful. So you're actually, from the second, if I recall, the second I actually started playing this documentary, I was, you're already, you're just already in the whole thing. And, you, and it doesn't let you go for the entire, if I recall, for the entire run. Yeah, you're locked in and there's great, great moments in here too. Because by the time you, like you said, by the time you're kind of into it, you know, 15 or 20 minutes, you kind of get a feel for his, kind of his take and the way he approaches these subjects. And then throughout the movie, there'll be these moments where he's on a, a show, like a Dick Cavett show or something. And they're talking to him and you're like, oh shit, what the hell is he going to say? And he just cuts right through to the truth. And then they'll have some... uh you know, white professor from Yale come on and try to, you know, counteract what he said. And it's just, oh, it's, it's good stuff. Okay. So that is, I am not your Negro. That is Bruce's pick recommendation this week. It is currently, as of this recording, streaming on Amazon Prime Video. Eric Holmes, right off the top of your head, do you have something to recommend to our listeners? I, I I don't know that I'd recommend it, but I got something to talk about. If you want, if we got, what do you, what do you want to talk? Well, do, what do you want to talk about? Well, you want to shit on Texas Chainsaw Massacre for a bit, Bruce? Okay, yeah, yeah. Well, you how you okay? How quick, uh, quick uh, ishing on it? What do you want to say about it that, that doesn't work? Okay. Well, it's a, it's a, um much like uh, what they did with uh, Halloween. David Gordon Green did it with Halloween. They did the we're pretending the sequels don't exist, and we're going to continue from the first movie into the second one. Um, and that, I, I think it worked pretty good. Uh, the, the first Halloween, uh, David Gordon green Halloween was pretty good. And, you know, it was a fun little experiment. Then they, uh, tried it again with, uh, scream. I did. I didn't see the new screen, but I guess that's more of a, uh, that's more of a sequel anyway. And plus scream can handle something like that because screams co- usually commenting, commentating on itself anyway. Yeah. Um, and then the uh, the the makers of Texas Chainsaw Massacre that's playing on Netflix right now uh, came in with their huge balls and hubris and uh, decided, you know what, all those sequels, forget they exist. We got the real one. And they made a perfectly okay, I guess, movie. Hmm. 
when you call your shot, we talked about this with the Foo Fighters. They called their shot. Of course, it wasn't a far shot, but they called it and they hit it. Uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre called it shot and it came up far short, far short. So this is like a three star movie, but just the fact uh, the arrogance that the filmmakers have for this piece of shit, you kind of almost have to give it like half a star or zero stars. Um, and, and on top of that, they I don't even think they understood the movie they were making. They were literally trying to rip off the David Gordon Green's Halloween. The, uh, Bruce would know the names better than I. I've seen Texas Chainsaw Massacre a couple of times, but I, I don't recognize the character's name. I do recall that the, the main female character in Texas Chainsaw Massacre, um, I didn't get the I didn't get the Laurie Strode vibe from her. I got the, I'm in a situation. I need to get the fuck out of the situation. Um, spoiler alert. When she does, she's just, you know, she, the fact that she's sitting there by the house, I can't wait till some kids come on <laughs> over and, and, and say that they've been attacked by old Leatherface and I'm going to be, I'm going to be polishing my shotgun waiting for this moment. And by the way, no one knows how to use a shotgun or any no. kind of gun in this movie. And they're in fucking Texas. They should goddamn know how to use a goddamn gun. Um, there, there's so many things to, uh, uh, poke at on this. And normally this would be like a movie that's like, oh, it's okay. But this is not just a normal movie. This is a movie that thinks it's better than all the ones that came before it. And it's not, it's just fine. And so fuck this movie, Bruce. That's such an interesting review that you, you put in because in a way it is a three-star film. So when you said it, it's a three-star film on a, on a surface level, Without any context like you or Bruce has, it'll be interesting. There might be some people who might say, hey, this is a perfectly fine movie. Yeah. So I'm glad that you actually put that those counterpoints. Bruce, Is this is, do you have a balanced, as balanced review as Eric saying, in a sense, it is a passable movie, but then there's just all this like, extra layers to it? Yeah. This is a, I guess this is an okay, dumb slasher movie. If it's just a dumb slasher movie, it's okay. It's not great even as a slasher movie, but it's not the worst thing you've ever seen. It's got some, some points that you could make for it. And just like Eric, I look at it like this, like to me, it would probably be two and a half, but it's trying to say, but look at me, I I'm attaching myself to the original, the masterpiece, you know, for most people, this is like considered one of the seminal horror movies of the last, you know, 40, 50 years. And by attaching myself to that, I'm going to give myself some extra luster. So in the same way that what Eric's saying, I would take that luster away from it for trying to attach itself to that. You know, I would, I would subtract that luster from it. So I'm just like, Eric, I'd go like a half star to zero stars because this is a dumb movie. I mean, this is such a dumb movie. And once again, he he touched on some of the dumb things. Certain little things like this. By attaching themselves to the original movie and saying, this is the original Leatherface, they are going to say with this movie that Leatherface is somewhere around his mid-70s to older. And he's doing all this stuff. Simple thing like that that you don't have to do if you don't attach it to the original movie. But they did, and they just don't address it. Oh, yeah, this superhero you know, villain is running around killing people and doing all this athletic stuff and not getting killed by a gun blast. And he's in his mid seventies, apparently, you know, or here's another little simple thing. This is bad. This is how bad the writing is at the very beginning. The idea is that there's been this mythology in this area for, you know, 50 years, right? Because this Texas chainsaw massacre from the seventies happened in this location. They've got like, you know, chainsaw, 
you know, corkscrews and stuff at the local gas station. And when the uh, our new heroes are coming through the gas station, they're like, they never caught him? And the guy at the gas station says like, well, of course they didn't. He was wearing a mask. And I'm like, that's idiotic. There was a whole family and there was a bunch of murders that happened. And the woman who escaped could say, it happened in that house right there. And I can identify everybody except the guy who was wearing a mask. And I could tell them where it happened. And the whole neighborhood would know who those people were who lived in that house. Oh, no. You can't tell who it is because he has a mask on. So that's the kind of idiocy in this movie. It's it's stupendously dumb. And again, th- this is all stuff that could be overlooked had they not had the whole premise of the movie not been, hey, forget all those other movies. We're the good one. No, you're not. <laughs> wow. No, you're yeah. Not. Yes. Um, before. Okay. So I guess I'm not going to see Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's available currently. If you want to see it, tell us what you think. It's available on Netflix. Obviously, watch the the Hooper Classic. Hopper Hooper. The Hooper Classic. From what year was it? Was it released? Seventy-four, I think. Seventy-four. Okay. Before we do our Dean Koontz Wallet Watch, Eric, what does Pete do every week? Even though it's not a What's in the Box pick, what what does he do every week? What does Pete do? Yo, Pete, drop that beat. Who's in the box? Oh, what's in the box? You lie! No! What's in the fucking box? All right, guys. This is for our monthly Dean Koontz Wallet Watch. This this month, it is Bruce's turn. Next month, it's Eric's turn. I don't know, Eric. Do you have a movie for next month? That'll be interesting. Maybe next week, you will announce yeah. on the show what your pick will be for next month. So keep that in your yeah, head. I, I, I got a couple ideas. Okay. We'll, have, we'll, we'll see what we'll see what we come up with. Have, make sure your, your choice rhymes with the Palma. Okay, Bruce Perky, <laughs> what is your pick? Tell us it, about it, your It'll team. rhyme with Texas Chainsaw Passacre. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Very good. Okay. For the Dean Koontz Wallet Watch, what you got for us, Bruce? Uh, well, I did the movie from 1972 called Silent Running. And um, I had picked up this Arrow Blu-ray of it recently. Um, but I hadn't had a, got around to watching it. And I hadn't seen this movie since, I don't know, maybe the early 80s at the very latest. Where did you pick it up? For... At your local video store? Or, or what did, did you get it? Uh, I ordered this one. Uh, I actually ordered it when we ordered uh, Toto the Hero. Uh, I ordered this too. I got oh, it cool. at the same time. Yeah. So... Um, and just recently, Douglas Trumbull, the director, uh, died. And I was like, oh my gosh, no better reason than to go check this out again and, and see what this is all about. Um, and it's, it's an odd movie. Uh, and I think that alone makes it worth checking out, whether you like it or hate it or are indifferent on it. Um, it's, it's an interesting historical, uh, piece of film in the middle of the 70s or early part of the 70s do you guys want to describe it or should i give it the basic thumbnail i mean bruce bruce journey plays a what is it a by what is it, a botanist the botanist a- astronaut slash botanist or something he's taking care of this geodesic dome which which is filled he's basically it's his own forest okay he's been nurturing them maybe for um, we're assuming several years while they've been out in out in outer space and he's taking care of th- this forest and he's all about the environment and the air this greenhouse he wants to keep it intact but he, the good news is they get this they get this uh, higher orders that all of them Bruce Stern's character and his fellow astronauts they they get the order to go, come back home come back to earth and one of the, their last mission is to actually take 
you know, pretty much get rid of these greenhouses within this whole uh, this whole ship they're on, this whole flora environment they're on. So they have to get rid of all those that, those beautiful plants and everything. And Bruce Dern's character will have none of it. And that is the the premise, I guess, of Silent Running, directed by Douglas Trumbull. I before I did my explanation, I rudely interrupted Eric Holmes, who was going to say something. Oh no, I was going to describe it, but you're doing a far better job. So <laughs> okay, the, go on. The other <laughs> and you can astronaut- cut this part out if you need to. No, no, no. The, uh, thank you, Eric. The other astronauts is Ron Rifkin, who has gone on to have an amazing career, and also Jesse Vint and Cliff Potts. They uh, we're not going to spoil too much about it, but they actually make their presence known within the, you know the first act of the movie. They they play a good counterpoint to Bruce Dern's character. He plays the character of Freeman Lowell, and. It's a tour de force performance from Dern early in his career. Bruce, hand it off to you. Yeah, I, I won't say too much about it now, but I will towards the end. But all I will say is that um, as I was watching it this time, well, first of all, it's 200% more Joan Baez songs than I need in a movie. I'll say that right out okay, the gate. I totally disagree. I thought they <laughs> – you know what's so funny? Those Those songs seem so out of place with this movie that – it added an extra dimension to it. <laughs> yeah, I, it was, I kind of thought weird. I was watching Billy Jack for a little bit there. <laughs> it's yeah. just a this, weird this, mix. This has that hardcore 70s feel going on to it. It's just like this ecological message in uh, the space environment. And what I think, what I think, I, what I like about this movie, well, there's a few things. One thing is Douglas Trumbull, first of all, this is the first thing he ever directed. This was part of a project, I guess, after, um, I think after Easy Rider, the studio decided to make a bunch of low budget movies and give these young directors or potential directors carte blanche and just give them a budget. This movie only had a budget of like a million, a million point three million dollars, you know, so it didn't have a lot for what it put on the screen. But he had he kind of had all this cachet after the special effects work he did on 2001 A Space Odyssey. Of course, he later on on and did like Close Encounters and Blade Runner and a bunch of other stuff as far as special effects goes. So I love the look of it. I love the old school model work and stuff in here. But what I think is really interesting in this movie, uh, other than the hippy-dippy stuff, is that they kind of create this hippy-dippy character and they make him acted by Bruce Dern. So you get this really strange combo of, and I and I said it to uh, Eric. I said this is almost like Ted Kaczynski in space because <laughs> it, it really is. It feels like it. Yeah, because yeah, because Bruce Dern at the time, especially, was this kind of weird, weaselly, villainous guy in all of these like side roles. He, that's what he played a lot of, and he kind of brings that energy to this. Although he's supposed to also be kind of this, you know, pie in the sky ecological dude so uh i think that weird energy really works and i think that there is some genuinely funny scenes later on when it's like him and just the robots just stuck in space uh i, I think there's there's a moment they have to plant a, a tree that i laughed out loud when i saw it um i don't know i'm curious to hear what you guys think of it i i think it's a, an interesting interesting oddity eric your thoughts I I like this one uh, quite a bit actually. Um, I, I mean, there's a, the the idea that Earth is 75 degrees everywhere, which leads me to believe that they're a type. The humans are a type one civilization, I believe. We're, we're I I can't remember the what like what the different types, but there's a a type number civilization where uh, we can control basically uh, 
our own environment and and then another one once it gets past that you can control like the entire solar system but either way the fact that they can control um the weather to that degree on earth leads me to believe why they need plants on a ship to begin with like they should be able to you know just make greenhouses wherever they need to um so the premise is kind of flawed but you know this is this is like the martian with uh with the uh the wind blowing over where you know mars doesn't have an atmosphere you kind of let that go so the movie can happen and um the rest of it's pretty decent i really liked uh bruce stern's character and so i I don't think we want to get into spoilers but the ending was either good or great and depending on where bruce stern is and i can't i couldn't quite i i think he's in the one place but if he's in the other place i think i like that one i think i like that version better okay, but we'll talk about that yeah, yeah. In, a, in a second um yeah. but yeah the the uh, the um i think this movie works best um once it's just him with uh huey and dewey the robots um it, it kind of it feels like a i I don't know this to be a fact, but I'm guessing Andy Weir must have watched this movie more than a couple of times before writing The Martian and Project Tail Mary, because there is a lot of uh, that in his uh, in his writing. And then, of course, the Martian movie that came out. Um, yeah, th- this is really good. Um, certainly got uh, Outland vibes as far as uh, the look of it. Um, you know, the Bruce said the old, I, I, I want to say outland vibes and the Bruce said like, like the miniatures and like that. And I'm like, that's kind of what I meant, but, (laughs) um, yeah, this has a cool look if you're, if you're into, into that area of filmmaking and yeah, this is, look, if you haven't seen it, uh, I I would check it out. I think you'd be pleasantly surprised or you'll hate it. One of the two, but I I think a lot of people (laughs) will be pleasantly surprised because this goes, this goes places and does cer- certain things that I, I wasn't quite, um, I don't want to oversell it, but I, I didn't, I don't know. I, it, it wasn't quite the movie I thought it was. Cause I, I actually thought I saw this movie, but I was thinking of a completely different, completely different movie. Uh, something like a class of 19 <laughs> class in 1999 or like th- that was the kind of movie I was thinking this was. And, and it is not that at all, but it's still really, really good. And Check it out. I'll give you a spoiler alert regarding Silent Running, okay? And this has to deal with The Desperate Hour, which we will be reviewing after we're done with the show. The movie's called Silent Running. And you know what's funny? Naomi Watts runs a lot more in The Desperate Hour than Bruce Dern does in Silent Running. He does some running. He's a little bit silent, but it's it's, an, it's just an interesting moniker. So actually, Screaming Running would be a great name for the movie that we're going to cover pretty soon called The Desperate Hour. But let's get to Silent Running. Yeah, if you are a fan of Bruce Dern, it's amazing. These are one of the movies where if you love Bruce Dern, you by default have to watch Silent Running. Because Huey and Dewey, like Eric mentions, it gets really good when he talks to these to these droids. Under a lesser actor, that would be considered camp. But as Bruce is mentioned, mentioning, since Bruce Dern is such an interesting character, he brings a level of resonance to certain moments with these droids. And towards the end, Eric mentioned the different endings that he was thinking about Silent Running. I thought the what the ending was is so out of this world 
awesome. Especially, it would be out of this world awesome if it if this ending applied to a movie that was actually released today. And this movie was released in seventy two. It predicted a lot of things, and the character, even though he is all about the ecology, he's filled with good intentions. I love how his arc actually develops throughout the running of Silent Running. It, it's a sort of, in a way, it's praising humanity, it's indicting humanity, and it's also giving us a very layered look at how technology is not such a black and white thing. There, Without giving too much away, there's a lot of things working within the fabric of Silent Running that it's not just a, a cheesy B sci-fi film. There's a lot of ideas running, which makes the idea that Douglas, the late Douglas Trumbull, he only directed this. He's had a successful career, of course, outside of cinema. But it's just this and Brainstorm with Natalie Wood and Chris Walken. These are his only two movies. It's watching something like Dark Star. You're realizing, wow, maybe if he actually, if we could turn back time, we we as, a, as cinephiles should have seen at least three or four more Douglas Trumbull films because he's just a really interesting storyteller. That said, the writers for this movie are Derek Washburn. Michael Cimino and Stephen Bochco, the late Stephen Bochco. Yeah, Stephen yeah. Bochco. Yep. Very interesting trio of writers. Washburn and Cimino would would team up together and win an Oscar for their work in The Deer Hunter. You know, rest in peace to Cimino and Bochco. Bochco, obviously, he's a very huge TV giant. He passed away in 2018. And what's interesting about Derek Washburn, I was looking on IMDb, he hasn't passed away. I've been trying to Google him, but. Check this out. Derek Washburn, his credits include, this is just awesome credits, 1972, co-writer on Silent Running. Six years later, he reteams with Chimino to write the screenplay for The Deer Hunter, which they won the Oscar. Then in 1982, he, he um, pens a screenplay for The Border, which stars Jack Nicholson. And then his last movie in 1987 was a script called Extreme Prejudice, a movie starring Eric Holmes, I mean, Nick Nolte, and directed by Walter Hill. And I still haven't seen Extreme Prejudice, but that's an amazing... And he, nothing since. I mean, that's a pretty great body of work. And I'm just wondering, my, not like we have time, but I wonder where in the world is Derek Washburn? But my overall, my overall rating for Silent Running is straight up easy four stars. Eric, what do you, what do you give Silent Running? I, yeah, that sounds about right. Probably four and a half. Four and a half stars. Four and a half stars for Eric Holmes. And the this leader of the segment of the Dean Koontz Wallet Watch, owner of the Arrow video of this movie, what would you give it, Bruce? Uh, I'm going to give it four stars, but depending on my mood, it goes up a little bit. And before we leave this segment, which I know we need to cut it off soon, let me tell you about the special features you get oh, on an Arrow mm-hmm. Blu-ray DVD, Blu-ray, I should yeah. say, of yes. Silent Running. Uh, and oh, and two little two little bits of trivia as well. One little bit of trivia is George Lucas. Supposedly, they loved when they were doing the the stuff for Star Wars, the original Star Wars. They couldn't get him. I forget what he was doing. They couldn't get him with the special effects, probably because he was probably working on Close Encounters at the time. And they asked if they could kind of base R two D two on these droids, and they did. He said that was fine. Go for it. So that's kind of, it's kind of somewhat based on the the look and the way that they move. And if there's a point towards the end of the movie, I'm not going to spoil it, where a droid is using a watering can. And that watering can was Bruce Dern's daughter's watering can. And his daughter had recently passed away. 
And he had used that experience to put a bunch of emotion in this movie. Like there's a point when he cries and he was really crying because he was tapping. He said he was tapping into that. How would you find out some of that information? Well, special features have a lot of stuff. I'm not even going to go through all of it. There are two commentaries. One commentary is director um, Douglas Trumbull and Bruce Dern through the whole thing talking about it. And they just have amazing stuff to say all the way through. The other commentary is two um, uh, critics who love this movie, just talking about historically how it has meant so much for people, especially into sci-fi and stuff, how it's really influenced a lot of stuff. Kind of to your point, Greg. Uh, then on top of that, and that's awesome right there, um, there's a uh, isolated music and effects track, if you want that. There is also, and this is the coolest thing, they talk about the original script, and I know that Eric will love this. They go through in great detail, huge chunks of the original version of the script with illustrations, kind of talking about how it would have looked. And a perfect example, I'm not going to say exactly what happens once again. The movie, the original movie script started with some characters already being dead and another character standing over them. And that was the beginning of the movie. And it kind of went from there. And there was a lot of differences in how it went. It was a little bit darker and a little bit, little bit more. There was a little more alien situation going on, which I'm kind of glad didn't happen in this movie. But um, it's really interesting. And interesting, if nothing else, just to see how a script kind of starts and how it ends up. So, um, yeah, it's it's got great special features. And it's got a whole giant booklet in it as well. So it's it's very value added if you even like this movie a little bit. I don't know if this is value added, but I've been interviewing people for the last maybe, I think right now it's been over 30 years. There's been only one actor filmmaker who I've talked to for more than a couple of minutes after the interview was done. That person being Bruce Stern. He visited me over at the offices over here, over in Los Angeles, over at the E! Entertainment Building where I used to work. Interviewed him for, I forget which movie I interviewed him for, but I walked him back to his car. Okay. And we just ended up talking about, I think we ended up talking about sports for 20 minutes. And I'm the one who had, had to end the conversation. That's how much of an interesting soul Bruce Dern is. And you can see that in this movie and you can see that in his performances. So yeah, Eric, you're going to say. Oh, I, uh, <laughs> I'm not sure I was going to say anything. However, um, I, I guess I also want to point out the scene with uh, uh, him with uh, teaching Huey and uh, Huey and Dewey how to play cards. Because yes. one of the great things about his performance in this is he does that Tom Hanks thing from Castaway. Because uh, Huey and Dewey, they, they're robots, they move, but they don't talk. But actually, the puppeteering of the robots, too, when they're when they're like showing he's like <laughs> yep. Bruce Stern's character is not watching the the you know they're just like turning their cards like showing them to each other and you see like the flaps and the lights going and shoot a lot of that has to do with the editing too because like uh, a combination of the puppetry the editing and Bruce Stern's performance kind of breathing life in these two robots and I think that card game where he's teaching them to play cards that's kind of uh, that's almost like the magnum opus of, you know, of what you can do when everything's just firing perfectly on all cylinders. Yeah. 
Yeah, that is so. That is silent running again. Per Bruce's recommendation, you can purchase it on Blu-ray via Arrow Video. Eric Holmes and I we saw it recently on. We both rented it in our respective platforms. I I at the beginning of this Find Your Film journey, I I would always make fun of of Eric Holmes whenever he would rent something on YouTube. Where did I rent Silent Running? I rented it on YouTube. Where did you see Eric Holmes? Where did you see it? Did you rent it on YouTube as well? Yeah, well, I I bought it on YouTube. You bought it on YouTube. Yeah, I I, I had I had a good feeling that I want to watch want to watch this one again. So, yeah. okay, it's worth full good. freight. Well, full freight. So and it, and it like you said, it it was worth the purchase, right? The fourteen fifteen dollars oh, yeah. purchase. Okay. Yeah, and also I think uh, when. Uh, uh, Project Hail Mary comes out because they they were making the movie supposedly making a movie based on that. I think when Project Hail Mary comes out, it'd probably be time to dust this one off and watch it again because there's stuff that happens in the book at least that that mirror a lot of what happens in this. Uh, they're completely different stories, but there's certain certain scenes where I'm like, that's that. He had to have gotten some things from this. So I think when uh whenever Project Hail Mary comes around, you might have to uh dust this movie off and do a rewind on it. People in the future, because of these uh of, of our podcast, we both I, I'm speaking for all three of us, we all love geodesic domes. Who knows, maybe in fifteen years <laughs> from now, me, Eric, and Bruce will be settling in our own geodesic domes with our respective family. Who knows, maybe once in a while I'll throw my arm out and either a hawk or an eagle will land on me as well. You you there are a couple there are a couple of bird scenes as well in Silent Running. Very interesting film. Four stars for me, four and a half stars for Eric Holmes and four stars, depending on the day, whether he loves Joan Baez or not. Four <laughs> stars for Bruce Perky. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> before, before we leave you, okay, this was a really cool and meaty show. I am not, for some reason, maybe it's because my love of Gasoline Alley put a, put a new fuel to, to my fire. I did not forget Bruce's What's in the Box pick for next week. So what's in the box, Amazing. Bruce? I almost forgot about it. Oh, yeah, <laughs> see, look. see, Bruce, see what loving uh, gets. It is. It is. It is. It is. God damn it. What's in the damn box? It. I can't pick it up. Oh, <laughs> this. Okay. Eric O, who directed Opera and directed mm-hmm. Namu, way back last year at this time, I interviewed him. And he suggested a movie called Genius Party from 2007. It's an anthology, anime anthology. So cool. Okay. So that should be really interesting. Genius Party is on tap for next week. We have a whole bunch of other movies that we're going to get to. Uh, Eric, you have anything to say before we go? Um, I love you guys. And yes. big hugs. And, and and big hugs to your buddy, Jonathan. Say the whole name. Yes. Right. Jonathan Christopher Martin Ives. And yes, yes check out Soul of St. Ives. Uh, you can find it on Amazon, Audible, and any fine places that audiobooks are found. Okay, and we will give the links in our show notes. As per usual, Bruce Perky, you are sending us out. Well, I am just looking forward to next week talking about this Rashomon-style medieval movie that you guys are going to have me watch that stars Mark Hamill, and he has a story. There's another one with Mark Wahlberg, and then it finally ends up with the final story, which is by Marky Post. 
And then I'll finally know who is the last Mark. <laughs> Very <laughs> silly, corny dad joke that I that went right over my head until you said the absolutely title and I finally got it. <laughs> okay, folks, if you're not a Gen Xer or a Boomer, you're not going to get the joke. But we all love it, and we all loved Gasoline Alley. As Bruce and Eric will not comment on my. I'm sorry, I was kidding. I love Gasoline Alley. Till next week, we will see you here on Find Your Film.